Good morning. It is great to be here with you today. I have officially been able to dry off after worship. I was sweating up here. I guess a little toasty up on this stage. Church, it's, it really is uh, great to be here with you. If this is your first time here today, let me, let me officially welcome you. We are so delighted that you're here today. Uh, we are a church uh, that's a part of every nation, as you saw from the video behind me. We do a lot of church planting. We participate in a great deal of missionary efforts. And we participate in a lot of training and developing and sending people out to change the world. Because we believe that the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, and who he is and what he has done for you and for me and every other human on this planet is the greatest force and the greatest change that someone can ever experience in their life. That's what we believe. We're a little crazy like that around here. And I, it was already mentioned once, but I want to start off by, by celebrating a life change. We believe that Jesus changes everything, not just in the lives of college students, although you've heard a lot of news about things happening with, with students as of late. But just this past week, we had Devin get baptized at Kennesaw State University. We had Tyrese, uh, excuse me, Tyrell get baptized this past week at Kennesaw State. We've got two more students at Reinhardt University that are preparing to be baptized. We're waiting to hear back on news of a Bible study that, to start with the softball team. There's, there's great things that are happening all over the place. Received a message this morning from one of our pastors in India and praying about starting another church in this area of Tibet, one of the most unchurched and dangerous areas in the entire world for Christians. And they're there scouting it out, praying and inviting us to be praying for them. God's on the move. My encouragement to you is to buckle up, get on board, and let God do something great through you. All right, here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start off by asking us a question. When is the last time you were there for someone in a tremendous time of need? Think about that for a second. When is the last time you stepped up in to someone's life or their situation at a time when they really needed some help? You might have been the person on the receiving end. There have been plenty of times I'm sure you can think of when, when someone helped you. Now my question for you to ponder this moment and this, this morning is, when was the last time you helped someone else in a really life-changing way? Pause that thought. We're going to rewind the clock on Andy's life about 10 years. About 10 years ago, I had the pleasure of joining my Uncle Joe up in, by Lake Erie for a family reunion. It was his birthday party. He was throwing a big bash. And so Amy and I, was an all-expense-paid trip. We get there, and, and not only do, do, is everything paid for, we have tickets to Cedar Point. Now, if you know anything about Cedar Point, it is like the mecca of roller coaster parks in the United States. If you're an adrenaline junkie, it is the place that you have to go to if you want to ride a good, old-fashioned roller coaster that'll make your hair, I mean, guys, it'll give you some gray hair. 
There was a new roller coaster when, when we got there. It was called the Top Thrill Dragster. Now, it, this was 10 years ago. It had just, it had just started. It, it was a, a roller coaster that went 120 miles an hour in 3.8 seconds. And when I say that the green light hit and you came out of the gate, I mean, you had whiplash and the whole nine yards. You're, I mean, it was incredible. And we got there, and you, I mean, of course, I'm, we're going to ride that. We're going to get in line. And so we got in line, and there's, there are two problems that you can run into when you face a ride like the Top Thrill Dragster. The first one is the line itself. You know, if you've ever been to an amusement park, that there are feature rides, and the feature rides have the longest lines. Which means by about the 20 to 30 minute mark, you're still looking at this line that might be another 60 minutes, might be another hour and a half. And so a ride like this requires something of you. Commitment. Character. I mean, you've got you've to pony up and be committed to laboring in this line. I mean, the voices in your head that say about 20 minutes, you know what, Andy, you should just, just bail out of that line. Think of all the things you could do at this amusement park with an extra hour and a half. You should, you should just go ahead and go. Devil, I rebuke you right now. You be quiet. You be quiet right now. So you have that that you've got to, you've got to deal with. The long line. But then there's another, there's another situation that presents itself and it requires a great deal of you. And that's when you're friend that you're with or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your spouse begins to get nervous about the ride that you're preparing to embark upon. And as you get a little bit closer, you can see the skin pallor is getting whiter. There's a little bit of shake. I, I don't know if we should do this. And you begin to hear things like, I don't feel very good. Or you begin to hear things like, this doesn't look safe. Or I'm afraid we could die. Those are all excuses. And what you need to do is be there for your friend in their great time of need. I was there for my beautiful, amazing wife in her moment of need. And she was standing right next to me. And I had to encourage her graciously with the kindness of the Holy Spirit to get on this ride. I might have said, you're doing this like it or not, you have to do this for your own sake. <laughs> I looked for the footage. I'm pretty sure somewhere on an old Handycam, I have footage of this ride with Amy and I on it. I couldn't find it, but what I did scour was YouTube for a couple that had reminiscent scenario of, of Amy and I. And I brought that footage today because Amy and I have watched it. And it, makes, it brings me joy every time I see them ride this ride together. He is all smiles, and she is crying. Roll the footage, please. You can't hear them talking very well in the video, which is what makes the video. She is screaming bloody murder, and he's making fun of her, and he's saying, she's crying. She's absolutely crying right now. It's a great video. I'll post it later. Brings me tremendous joy because it reminded me of the hour of need that Amy had at the top thrill drags her. Okay, joking aside, 
obviously we had fun and I'm, I'm, I'm being sarcastic in this moment. But switch gears with me for a second because life can feel, even though I was, that's a literal roller coaster that we're talking about, the reality is that 120 miles an hour in 3.8 seconds feels a lot like some of our lives, does it not? You just can't seem to slow down. Things are at a breakneck, neck break pace. And there are tremendous highs. And sometimes there's actually really tremendous lows. And a lot of times in 2018 in church, we don't always talk about what it looks like to weather some of the roller coasters of life together. We love to talk about the highs. We don't always talk about the lows really well. The truth is some of us are struggling with some things, big things. Whether it's depression, anxiety, being fearful, being angry, there's strain in our homes, strain financially, and we're trying to figure out up from down. And what we want to talk about today isn't just simply ministering to the needs that we have in our heart, but what it looks like to actually minister to the needs of somebody else who's also in that situation. So we've been in a series called Headlines, and to tie it all together, what makes the headlines of heaven so often aren't these huge, amazing moments where somehow you're on a hillside preaching to thousands, but it's what it looks like when you can faithfully love the friend, the neighbor, the spouse next to you, that you can faithfully live out the gospel in a way that's a, a daily picking up of your cross and following Jesus. Those are the things that I believe mark heaven more than anything else. Let's pray and we're going to get into it today. Father, thank you. Lord, I thank you that you never leave us and you have never forsaken us. And even as we, we speak together this morning, as we preach your word, Lord, it's my prayer today that we would sense your presence drawing closer to us. And God, that we would also be able to take what you've put inside of us and give it away. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Amen. Turn to the book of Ruth, would you please? It's a book in the Old Testament. It's not a book that you probably just naturally pick up and say, today I'm going to read from the book of Ruth. It's not very long, but boy, is it packed full of punch. And I'm going to let you know now, I'm not going to be preaching through it in a way that's very traditional. I'm going to be speaking about a couple things that have been standing out to me that I think our church needs. And maybe, maybe even me personally, I needed to be reminded of by the Holy Spirit. But I couldn't shake this message and the fact that it was supposed to be given to you as well. And so here we are in the book of Ruth. And I don't even need to give it much context. It sets itself up. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. 
Times are tough. Famine has hit the land, and Elimelech is looking at his wife, Naomi, and he's saying to himself, we got to get out of here. The land isn't producing the crops that, that, that would they need it to to survive or to somehow get ahead. We don't know all the, the conditions or details, but long story short, Elimelech decides to risk a great deal by packing up his family and moving to Moab. What you should know is that Moab is an enemy territory of Israel. Enemies. And so not only is he stepping out into uh, enemy territory, he's doing it by himself without the covering or without the community of Israel as a whole. I can't speak to whether or not that was the right decision or not, but long story short, those are the, those are the details. That's the context for what's happening here. And in Ruth chapter 1, verse 3, we get a little bit more backstory with Naomi. It says that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Let's just rewind the tape and make sure that we understand what's happening. Famine has struck, and as if that isn't hard enough on its own, you your husband, and your two boys. You trek on out. You're pioneers, so to speak. Looking to find a new, new place, a new way. Going to provide for yourself. And so you get to this area in Moab, Moab and you, you somehow stake your ground, you stake your territory, you make your claim, and you're living life, and the husband of this family, the patriarch, dies. It's tragic. I can't imagine losing a spouse. But the husband dies, Elimelech is gone, and to make then matters worse, worth worse over the next 10 years, her two boys get married to Orpah and Ruth. But somewhere and somehow in this process, not only does your husband die, but now your first boy dies. And then your second boy dies. You have no grandchildren. Which, by the way, as you begin to get along in life, one of the greatest things that you get to look forward to is being a grandparent. And the dream of what that might have been is gone. Husband's gone. Son number one is gone. Son number two is gone. And to compound an already heartbreaking situation, they have no way of providing for themselves. The manual labor is gone. And Moab, the Moabites do not have the same laws that Israel has. 
And so the provision that would have been provided for a widow, for instance, is not provided for Naomi or her two, or her two daughters here. And so they are in dire, a dire situation. It is tragic. It is heartbreaking. And in many ways, you would have felt like you just wanted your life to end. That's the kind of pain that we're talking about here. Pain has a way, does it not, of, of, of changing a person. When you go through something hard, you do not come out the same way on the other side. You don't. I'm not saying for better or for worse at this point. I'm simply stating the fact that pain has a way of shaping us. When I was in college, one of my, wasn't my roommate, but I lived in the dorms on campus at Lipscomb University in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had a buddy that lived in my hallway, a couple, couple uh, uh, rooms down. His name was Jim Craig. And Jim was one of those guys, he was Mr. REI, he, he had a backpack for everything, he had the boots, the shorts, the shirts, he had the sleeping bags, he had all the stuff. He was a Tennessee boy. And so he was always, every weekend, he was rounding people up to go camping, or to go hiking, or to go do something outside. And so, guess what, that's what we were doing. We went hiking a lot, we'd go camping a lot. And in Nashville, similar to actually to Kennesaw, there are lots of places to hike just outside of, of the city proper. And so we're at a particular campsite, and I'm with a group of people on one side of this, this hill, and Jim's with another group of people on this other side of the hill, and there's this lake. And you know what college students are doing, we're jumping in, because that's what you do, you cliff dive. It was fun, it was awesome. And in fact, I, I well, we won't even go into the details. <laughs> Long story short, there was a, a great deal of diving and jumping in. And you know, everyone's always trying to better the other person. You're trying to best the other one. Bigger cannonball, you know, crazier jump in. And it's fun, and everybody's cheering each other on. And you know, Jim was doing his thing, and Jim always had a way of besting him, all the other guys. So, you know, half the time it's cheering, and the other time because it's guys were booing each other. Boo, you know, and just talking a lot of trash. And so on this particular occasion, Jim's on the cliff, and he jumps. He does a back dive this time. It's a back flip. And it was, it was incredible. And he hits the water, and everyone is cheering Except he did not come back up from the water. So we thought it was a joke at first. Ah, Jim's being funny. But he never surfaced. And so what was laughter turned to panic. So everyone's jumping into this lake, trying to swim as fast and as deep as we possibly could. And we couldn't do it. So we had to call 911, and the police had to come with a scuba team, and they brought our friend's body out of the water, and what was supposed to be a joyous occasion turned to great pain and great tragedy as our friend lost his life. And the medical examiner said that he had broken his neck on the impact of the water the second he'd hit. And I remember going back to campus and having to begin breaking the news to friends. Calling on the phone. Setting up, you know, meetings and moments together with other students. I remember working on the funeral services as a college student. Not as a pastor, 
I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about full-time ministry. We found ourselves in this situation, me and another buddy, but helping organize this thing. And I remember the service, and I remember the funeral, and I remember his mother. I remember the look on her face as she had lost her only boy. I remember hugging her. And I also remember her sharing her testimony several years later of what God had been able to do in her heart through this tremendous tragedy and tremendous suffering. See, pain, I, I, I wish I could sit here this morning and tell you why things happen. I, I, I don't know. I don't believe that somehow Satan is hiding behind every bush and every bad thing that happens is somehow a demon or a demonic presence that's out to get you. But I also do know this. Number one, I do believe that that's a real. And I also believe that we live in a world that is broken and broken by sin, the original sin, meaning the very fabric and nature of the world that we live in is broken. And because it's broken, broken things happen to broken people. And that's about as good as I can get for understanding why certain things happen. I imagine things were a bit similar for Naomi, having lost her husband, her two sons, and having no grandchildren and no money. And so here we are in Ruth chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. As we look at what Naomi has to say, as she's packing her bags, and she's moving back to Israel. She says to her daughters, her daughter-in-laws, excuse me, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi, out of her own admonition, is bitter about the life that she's currently living. She says something else. We'll skip on down to Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, and then we'll, we'll get back to the stuff in the middle in just a second. Ruth, one of the daughters, has decided to go with Naomi to Israel. Orpah has decided to stay behind. And so Naomi and Ruth, the two women, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I was out of town this past week. For most of it, might I add. 
I was at a funeral in St. Louis, and I'm from St. Louis. I'd spent the first 20 years of my life living in St. Louis. If you're around me for very long, you hear me mention something about St. Louis. I'm proud of my hometown, just like I would expect anyone to be proud of their hometown. But my uncle passed away this past week. And so I had to obviously change some plans, and I, you know, my, my, my sister and my mom both live in Nashville now, and so I drove to Nashville, we picked them up, and, you know, it was my mom, my sister, and I heading into St. Louis for the first time. We're driving together. It's not, when you get married and you start having kids, it's rare to suddenly find time with just your sister and your mother without a spouse or a child present. You don't think about that anymore, but all of a sudden you're sitting in a car and you're thinking, the last time we've done this, I feel like I was in high school or college. And so here we are trucking it to St. Louis. And my father died 14 years ago in St. Louis of a heart attack. And my mom left moved to Nashville about as fast as she could. And she had not returned in 14 years. And so here we are, my sister, me, and my mom, driving back in to our Israel, so to speak. And I can tell you what Naomi's response would have been like returning to a people that she hadn't seen in a long time because in many ways I got to see it in my own car imagine having not seen family in a long time you you do this just for just for a Christmas holiday when when, when people are getting ready to come in the door what do you do oh they're, they're five minutes out you know I mean, let me just let me kind of freshen up make sure the hair looks right in the mirror maybe you put on a little lip gloss you know, the guy's, you know, freshening up, sucking in the gut, and, you know, just making sure everything looks right, because what is it that you want to do? You want to, you want to make a good impression on people that you haven't seen in a very long time. So when Naomi steps back into Bethlehem and people say, can this be Naomi? It's not because Naomi looks so good. It's not because somehow life has been so grand that she's got servants and dresses and wealth accompanying her. No. No, pain has shaped her in such a way that as she is returning to her town of people that she knows, probably even relatives that she knows, they can't even recognize her. Is this Naomi? I, I can hardly tell. Are you sure? Gosh, she looks so different. What's happened? It's not the kind of homecoming that anyone would long for. Now I realize all I seem to have done this morning is paint tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I'm going to begin to turn this thing around here for a second. And you'll, you'll, you'll be able to understand why I took my time getting here. But I also want to just share this. Because in all of our talking about faith and our, our warring in the spirit and our 
learning to be excellent and, and the best follower of Jesus we can possibly become. Faithful, leaders, fruitful. Sometimes we also don't emphasize the fact that there is an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Because sometimes life just isn't going very well. Life can be cruel. And they can be really, really hard. And it's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to be upset, to be sad. It's okay to have a season where you're just stuck. I'm not encouraging you to stay there by any means. But I also know that sometimes we arrive there unintended, and it can be difficult to get out. Can we acknowledge that this morning? Can we say amen to that this morning? Because it's true. It's really, really true. And so as we're in a series called Headlines, I want to emphasize what Ruth did something here. We're not even talking about the real heart and soul of the book of Ruth this morning. We're talking about one simple set of actions that she did that had the capacity to change literally not just one life, but all of history. Back up in your Bible to verse 16. Naomi has been encouraging her two daughters to stay behind. Don't come with me. Stay here. What am I going to do for you? I'm too old to get married again. I'm too old to have more sons. What can I possibly offer you but a life of just living destitute? But Ruth says this to Naomi. She says, do not urge me, verse 16, to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. See, great relationships aren't great because they have no problems. They're great because people refuse to quit. And let me say this specifically. A lot of times a great relationship is a great relationship because one person just refuses to let go. And I am so thankful for people who refuse to let go of me when I was going through a really tough time, a really hard time. I realize that there are relationships, church, that become toxic and you need to say goodbye to those. You do. But by and large, we live in a culture where relationships become disposable, and they become disposable very easily. And the minute we find ourselves in a situation where one of those relationships is going through something that is incredibly difficult, and their difficulty is kind of leaking out a little bit into your situation and in your life, oftentimes we want to rinse our hands of this and be done. Ruth doesn't get the praise and honor that she deserves here. 
Naomi has acknowledged that her life is bitter. She returns to town and she says, don't even call me by my true name, Naomi. Call me Mara because my life sucks. I'm bitter about it. I'm upset. God allowed this to happen. God did this to me. So that's who I am. And Ruth in all of this says, I'm not ever going to leave your side. I'm not letting go. Your people are going to be my people. And where you go, I'm going to go right there with you. Because I love you. You're dear to me. And I treasure this relationship. And Ruth, by the way, goes on to become a direct heir of King David, might I add. I, I, I read the book in your own time this week. We're not even going to get to that right now. But she literally becomes a direct heir to Jesus Christ through David. And it all starts because she is unwilling to quit on a relationship with somebody who's going through hell and back. Have you ever been around somebody that's bitter? Think about it. You've been around somebody bitter lately? What does it feel like? Let's just acknowledge what bitterness looks and feels like. Bitter people oftentimes rarely see the good. They, re they, they see the bad. The glass is half empty, is it not? Or all the way empty all the time. There's a lot of complaining there's a lot of use of the word, I hate. I hate this. I hate that. I'm so over this. There's something, every time you turn around, there's something to be complaining about, is it not? This is what bitterness looks like. It begins to corrode your view of life. So every single thing that you see, every encounter that you have, it just feels a little bit poisoned. When you are around someone that is bitter, Bitter, I'm telling you, it is not enjoyable. No one says to them, can't wait to be around that person today. Can't wait. It's gonna be, I'm going to feel so fantastic after I get time with them. No, you don't. That's not how you feel. Maybe you don't know someone that's bitter. Maybe the person that God has put in your life that you need to be there for, that you need to, to stick it out with, is someone that's depressed. They're just discouraged, and they can't see a way out. Maybe they're angry at life. How did I end up here? I still don't have the job I need or want. I'm still barely making ends meet. I'm not the mom I wanted to be. I'm not the dad I wanted to be. My marriage isn't where it's supposed to be. Maybe it's anxiety. Pick your thing. Who has God placed in your life that you need to be a Ruth to? In and like a Ruth to a Naomi, where you just refuse to let go. And you're there for them the way Jesus 
is there for you. What does the scripture say? What does Jesus say? He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You know how absolutely rotten I've been to Jesus in my lifetime? Terrible. I say I'm not going to sit in this area anymore and what do I do? Literally like the next minute. I'm sinning. I'm I'm being the dad that I just said I wasn't going to be. I'm not going to lose my temper over that anymore. (gasps) But Jesus doesn't leave my side. He doesn't forsake me. He doesn't quit on me. I'll be honest with you, heading back into St. Louis with my family, I'll, I'll just have a moment with you here today was a lot more sad than I anticipated it being. My uncle, my dad's brother, my dad died 14 years ago. We weren't particularly super close. While it was wonderful to see family, it was hard. Also, being in the car with my sister and my mom, and it was like life had stopped for a moment and we had been transported back 20 years ago only my dad wasn't there and so we're going to the cemetery and we're visiting his 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 tomb and we're his tombstone we're going to our favorite restaurants we're we're doing all the things that we would have done 20 years ago and then while you're there as is oftentimes the case at a funeral you know all of a sudden you're getting time with somebody and and Everyone discovers, oh, he's a pastor now. So let's, I need some ministry in this moment. And so the skeletons start coming out of the closet. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but so-and-so has an addiction. I don't know if you, if you heard about this, but so-and-so was abused. Oh, they were abused by so-and-so over here. We're not even talking to each other. I hope you don't talk to them either. Oh, yeah. This is a good old-fashioned family get-together right here. And I have to tell you, it was, there was a heaviness in it. And I got home. And for the first time in a very long time, I can honestly tell you that I just was sad. You could say I was even depressed. Not clinically depressed. I don't need to go see a counselor or a psychiatrist, but it's okay if you do. But I just was down. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't even want to talk to God. I was upset at the manner in which life had unfolded and the pain that people were experiencing here, here, here and here. It reminded me of something. Number one, it reminded me first and foremost that God, despite how I feel, I serve a God who does not leave or forsake his people. But the other thing that brought great courage and encouragement to me were the occasional text message or the phone call of people who could tell that I wasn't the person that I normally am. Hey, you doing okay? Seem down. 
actually, no, I'm not. I'm not doing well. I'm sad. And I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't say that. But I could have. I didn't feel like myself really till even yesterday. And even then, I, there's still a measure of sadness even when I think about it. It doesn't take me long to get emotional talking about it. And I want you to know that even in the midst of being down and discouraged, you know what that does to a room? It pulls the life out of it. It sucks the life out of the people that are around you when you're depressed or you're discouraged. But you know what I love about people who choose to really live like Christ is they live above that and they live beyond that. And they choose to love and they choose to stand and they choose to go in on relationships and stick it out even when people are going through something really difficult even when someone feels a little bit bitter I've been bitter before I know what it's like when people don't want to be around you I get it I know it I've tasted depression I've tasted discouragement and loneliness and feeling like life just isn't fair and you know what I needed more than anything else? Yes, the presence of God, but also some people who would man up, woman up, shoulder up, and refuse to let go in my time of need. And that's what we get to be for one another. Look at what the scriptures say. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely Jesus, he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows. It doesn't say that he takes them away. It says that he takes the weight of them away. They're still present, but I don't have to shoulder it. And he says one other thing, and this is by no means the extent of what the scriptures have to say or speak to in this issue. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When we talk about headlines and we take a look at the life of Ruth and Naomi, I don't know what God had deposited in Ruth to give her the sense of just being where she was unwilling to let go of Naomi, where she just refused to, 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 to let her leave and go off by herself. She wasn't going to forsake this relationship despite the fact that this woman is bleeding bitterness out everywhere and to be honest who can blame her but there lies in every single person here if you have surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ the Bible reminds us that you and I have been filled with the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit allows you to comfort others in the same way that God has comforted you how has God comforted you well one of the ways is he refuses to abandon you he refuses to let go he will not leave you and he will not forsake you 
And so now what we get to do is we get to link arms with each other. We get to hold hands with one another. And when someone's going through a difficult time, you know what we get to do? We get to be a Ruth. We get to shoulder up. We get to stick it out. And we get to be Jesus Christ to someone in need. That's not what we have to do. It's what we get to do. That's who we are. It's who we've been made to be. It may seem so simple this morning, so subtle. As if you're coming to church and all Andy is saying is to just be nice to one another. I am saying that, but what I'm actually saying with greater clarity is that that person who makes you want to pull your hair out might need more than anything else for you not to take a step out, but for you to take a step in. They need somebody to prop them up, to bring fresh courage. A word of hope. Maybe they don't need any of that and they just need you to be present. To just be there. Would you just, would you just sit with me? Would you just drink a cup of coffee and be there? In a world that praises and prizes and celebrates relationships that are here today and gone tomorrow I think Jesus Christ has something more for us a deeper kind of relationship with your spouse with your church with your friends with your life group with your campus ministry a different kind of relationship relationship that holds on come hell or high water for Christ to one another. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. What some of us are going through some hard times even right now. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would draw close even in this moment. This hour of need, Lord, we've got there are people who have lost children, people who've been through divorce, people who, God, are struggling in their marriage, people who are struggling parenting kids, people who are struggling with friendships on campus, friendships at work, relationships, God. We have strain. Or it just flat out feels like nothing's going our way. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would breathe encouragement into our church today. That the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow into our hearts and souls right now. God, I pray for hope for a new day. And Lord, I thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. They're new every single day. You don't leave us and you don't forsake us. And God, I also pr I, I praise you now and I thank you as well, Lord, that we might rise to the occasion and have a different kind of friendship and a different kind of relationship than what the world is used to seeing. Lord, that we would go in with one another, 
Lord, that we would link arms with one another. Lord, that we wouldn't be divided by somehow race, by skin color, or by politics, God, or somehow that we wouldn't be cast out because of, of depression or mental illness or frustration or discouragement, God, but that we would step in and link arms and love one another the way Christ loves us. God, that we would comfort one another with the same comfort that we have received by the Holy Spirit. God, that is what we're after today. God, would you help us to be that kind of friend, that kind of spouse, that kind of parent. In the name of Jesus, amen. Your action step this morning is simple. I didn't know what I was going to invite you to do or ask you to do, so I didn't have anything prepared in my notes. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you want to start growing in these kind of relationships with people, then you have to get to how people are actually doing. And so I'm asking you to take a moment this coming week, stop and actually ask someone how they are and if someone's response to you is I'm good and here's your follow-up you say thank you how are you really doing like how are you really doing right now what can I be praying for you about what can we get coffee and talk about today tomorrow Thursday don't let your relationships just be superficial because when difficulty comes, they're easy to, to, be, to let go of. But go in deeper with people this coming week and begin to build and grow and strengthen those relationships so that you can love people the way Christ loves you. Amen? You've got a mission may seem like your contribution is small, but you get to ask somebody how they're really doing. And go for it. Amen? Stand to your feet.